0: Today is today's Mother's Day, so I um, I wanted to uh, make our message. We, we wrapped up the series, Good News, Bad News, if you're here for any of that. Um, if you weren't here for it, um, some of that is available to listen to on our website. It's something you want to go back and, and check out. Um, but today is all about moms, and I wanted to give a message that was themed around uh, what moms do. And I uh, I thought I would start off by talking about um, this this kind of job description i saw on the internet so um how many have ever ever been in the position where you're looking for a new job probably all of us, right? At one point or another, we've been looking for a new job, and you start looking, you know, of course now you don't look and classifieds on a paper, but you look at online job postings. And, and can you imagine with me, if, if you're reading along, trying to find something that's a good fit, right? Like, we all want something that, that will, will be a job that we know we can do, that we're, we're good at, that we're skilled at, but that also has a good, you know, compensation package that will make sure that, that we've got a little financial margin. Like, you know, I mean, I know everyone would always love to have more money than what they do but you certainly want to want to look at something be like okay this is what it has to be to pay all the bills I have currently and 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 to live where I live now and to do the things I do now but imagine this okay so you go to the job description and you look at a thing wow this this is this is a pretty pretty big job pretty long long description Um, job description looking for long-term team players needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment Candidates must possess excellent communication and organizational skills, be willing to work variable hours, which will include evenings and weekends, and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnight travel will be required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends, endless sports tournaments, and faraway cities. Travel expenses will not be reimbursed. Extensive courier duties are also required. Key responsibilities, the rest of your life. Must be willing to be hated, at least temporarily, until someone needs five bucks. Must be willing to bite tongue repeatedly. Also must possess the physical stamina of a pack mule and be able to go from zero to 60 miles per hour in three seconds flat. This time the screams from the backyard are not just someone crying wolf. Must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysterious sluggish toilets, stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have the ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages and mental outlooks. Must be willing to be indispensable one minute and an embarrassment the next. Must handle the assembly, production, and safe testing of half a million cheap plastic toys and battery-operated devices. Must always hope for the best but be prepared for the worst. Must assume final, complete accountability for the quality of the end product. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. Possibility for advancement and promotion? Virtually none. Your job is to remain the same position for years without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those in your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience? None is required, unfortunately. On-the-job training will be offered on a continually exhausting basis. Wages and compensation. Here's the best part. You pay them. Offering frequent raises and bonuses. A balloon payment is due when they turn 18 because of the assumption that college will help them become financially independent. When you die, you give them whatever is left. The oddest thing about this reverse salary scheme is that you actually sometimes enjoy it and wish you could do more. Benefits package. While no health, dental, or other pension is required, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, no stock options are offered, this job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life if you play your cards right. Being a mom, raising, raising a child is a major, major investment, right? You, you've got to put a lot into it, and that requires a ton of faith. Like, even if you're here this morning, you're like, I'm not even sure if I'm, I'm buying into the whole Bible and Jesus and, and faith and God thing. It requires a lot of faith to raise a kid. It requires a lot of faith to be a mom, and there are no, no guarantees at all. I mean, can you imagine any other endeavor? Like, if, if if you if you were investing into a startup company, and they told you, "Yeah, we, we'd love for you to, to invest in our company. We'd love for you to to contribute to what we're doing here. We think it's going to be really great." And then, as soon as you sign off, like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna invest," they're like, "Oh, by the way, we're gonna need you to to make a lifetime commitment to invest for the rest of your life." You won't know if the company fails or succeeds for decades on. But now, now you're in. I mean, that's, that's kind of what parenthood's like. That's kind of what, what moms sign up for. And when we talk about having a lot of faith, it, it, it takes me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that says this. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I mean, that describes being a mom right there. It's, 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 a, it's having to have the confidence that, that what you don't see yet, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. Uh, it's, it's this hope and this assurance. You know, I mean, being a mom demands faith. Like, just for starters, you're going to spend nine months in discomfort and, and sometimes agony and, and fatigue, followed by, you know, hours, perhaps days of labor for what you hope for, but do not yet see. When you sign up to be a mom, or sometimes get drafted, recruited, step in to be a mom, you give your support and show up over and over and over again for what you hope for, but do not yet see. And it can, we all know it can be hard to have faith. It can be hard to be uh, and to stay confident, as the Bible says, in that hope. And uh, if you read on through Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this is a book in the Bible, Um that, that is sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. Because if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it goes on and lists person of faith after person of faith from the Old Testament. Just just listening off all these people that's like, hey, they had great faith, you know, and, and we, should, we should strive to be, be like them. Um, but since today's Mother's Day, I wanted to skip down from, from verse 1 to, to one that, that in particular I think is appropriate for Mother's Day. And if you go down to verse 23, it says this, It was by faith... That Moses' parents hid him for three months until he was born. They saw that God had given him an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Now, if you if you're familiar with the story of Moses, many of you probably are, the, the, the backdrop of the story is uh, at this time, the nation of Israel isn't even a nation at all. There they're there are, there are a people group that are literally enslaved. To, to the nation of Egypt, they have no rights, no, no voice, no anything. They're, they're literally, you know, a slave nation being forced to work, manual labor, do whatever the Egyptians tell you to do. There's no options, there's no quitting, there's no running away. You know, they, they, have, they have no, no freedom. And, and if you've read the story before, you know that, that Moses is the person that God raises up from within the, the, the nation of Hebrews. And God uses Moses to free the entire nation of Israel. And, and you, you've likely heard of, of the plagues. Maybe you watched the, the Disney cartoon they made a bunch of years ago. But, but God, since all these plagues, He uses Moses to speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and, to, and to, to, to bring freedom to an entire people group, to an entire nation. And when you look at this... You know, it's no surprise if you read on down, like, Moses is listed in the people of faith. Like, sure, that makes sense. Moses should be there. He did all these amazing things. But it's important to note that his parents, his mother, his father, are listed here right before Moses. It says it was by faith Moses' parents hid him and refused to obey the king's command. Their names are not recorded in the Bible. We have no idea what Moses' mother name is. And yet, here she is. In the Hall of Faith chapter. And so let's jump back into um, into the book of Exodus and take a closer look at, at, at the story of, of faith. And so if you, you look at Exodus chapter 1 verse 22, you know, it, 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 it goes on this, you know, as, as the, the nation of Israel is, is there enslaved by Egypt, they, they keep growing, like literally growing, like they're having lots of children, lots of babies. And Pharaoh's nervous that that if if they if they get to be too many, they'll no longer be able to control them, right? Like right now, they've got this ratio of Pharaoh of Egyptians to to Israelites, where they can they can maintain control through through force and and, and all the, the the superior advantages they have as the as the as the the host country. But he's like, hey, if 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 this goes too much further, Pharaoh sees a tipping point where. The, the, the Hebrews, you know, they could become so many that if we get involved in a conflict with another nation, they're going to flip sides and, and we're going to be in a world of trouble. And so he makes this decree, this horrible, horrible decree. He says, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, an order, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. And so Pharaoh's solution to, to this problem is like, you know what? We're going to get rid of every, every newborn boy that comes along. That way they can't continue to, um, to grow and multiply and, and we're, going to, we're going to focus on the boys because they're the ones that could grow up to be soldiers. They're the ones that could grow up to, 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 to fight against us. And if you read on here in the verse two, it says this, about this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi, who shall remain nameless, the woman, uh, they, they, they got married, and the woman became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now, I love that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. Like, we do. Like, we, we can sugarcoat things. We, in church, we sugarcoat things. In church, we try to try to just tell the, the good parts of the story. But, if you, I mean, if you really read this, I mean, think about what's going on. Like they're in this, they're already enslaved, right? Things are already bad, and they've gone from bad to worse. You know, Pharaoh's made this order, you've got to kill every newborn newborn boy. And at this time, you know, Moses' mother gets pregnant. And, and it's like, we may not be in a situation as desperate as, as Moses, mo- Moses' mother, but we've all been in crisis before, right? Like all of us have experienced crisis in our lives. Um, most of us, I'm sure we've had more than one. You know, I, I could ask everyone to raise their hands, but I already know the answer to the question. Yes, everyone in here has had more than one crisis in their life based on your age. Maybe not some of the kids in, their, in the room, There's still in grade school, but all of us adults, we've had at least more than one crisis, right? And, and it maybe wasn't as desperate as this crisis, but it was a crisis nonetheless. And when we find ourselves in crisis, we're often turning, looking to God, being like, why? Why are you allowing this happening? Why, why, what's going on? Are you still in control? We always assume that there's either something wrong with God, right? Like, how could you be good, God, and allow this crisis to happen to me while I'm trying to to do my best to, 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 to live in the way you want me to live? Or, you know, we assume incorrectly that, that, you know, oh man, I must have done something wrong. This is, this crisis is a result of something that I've done and now God is, is punishing me. You know, God is allowing this to happen or letting this happen or causing this to happen because I've done something wrong. Now, there are certainly times that I have found myself in a crisis of my own making and I would be willing to bet that there's been a time or two where you found yourself in a crisis that you know was your own fault. But many times, we're just in a crisis. We didn't cause it. We didn't do anything to start it. It just came upon us. And I love that right here in the Bible, God shows us that it is possible to be in the middle of crisis and be in the middle of God's plan at the same time. I want to say that again because I still don't want to believe this when it happens to me. When I'm in crisis, I'm not like, oh, I could still be in God's plan. It's all fine. No, I'm like, God, what are you doing? It's possible to be exactly where God wants you to be and to be in crisis. And can you imagine how this must have unfolded for Moses' mother? I mean, think about this for a moment. Pharaoh makes this evil, horrible decree. You got, you got to kill, kill all the babies, all the boy babies. And if you don't, we're going to come and, and, and help you and, and take them from you and kill them for you. Throw them all in the river. And, and before Moses' mom can say, no, I'm not really in the mood tonight, honey. Like, she discovers she's pregnant. And in the middle of this, like, like, can you imagine, like, not even having a chance to react to this horrible news? Like, have you heard what Pharaoh just said? Have you heard what he just laid down? And it's like... I just found out that I'm pregnant. And you got to remember, like, this is ancient, ancient times, okay? There's no birth control. There's no planning or deciding when you're going to have your your children. There's no way to detect a pregnancy early on. Like, you know you're pregnant about the same time everyone else does because it's obvious, you know? I mean, even if you, I, I get like right now, like, oh, I'm having morning sickness. Oh, you could be pregnant. You should do what? Take a test, right? Well, guess what? No tests. You just got to wait until you, you literally can see or literally feel the baby. And this is the situation Moses' mother finds him. in. Like, there's, there's nothing that she can do, and she's found herself in the middle of this crisis. And the Bible isn't clear on whether or not she, she discovers that she's pregnant before Pharaoh makes this decree or after. But if she found out that she was pregnant before he makes this, imagine the whiplash that, that she must have felt going from utter joy of, I am, I am pregnant I'm going, to have, I'm going to have another baby, to, oh my God, I have to kill this baby. Like, I've got no, no choice, no options. Or if she found out after, you know, an occasion that should have been a source of pride and joy and excitement has been twisted into this horrifying crisis that she finds herself in. Either way, think about some of the prayers that Moses' mom must have prayed as she's pregnant with him. And where are you at God? Like it's bad enough that that we are a nation of slaves but now they're murdering our boys. God why would you even allow me to be pregnant under these circumstances under this situation? You know and then and then if we, if we go back and look at verse verse two again it says you know she became pregnant and gave birth to son and she saw that he was a special boy. And I got I to gotta be honest with you, I'm sure at some point Moses' mother's screaming at God, like, why would you give me this special child? Why would you give me a child that it's obvious to see that, that, that there's something special about him if you're just going to have him be, be put in this horrible situation where he has to be murdered, where I am supposed to, or his father is supposed to be the one that does it. And if we don't, they're going to come and do it for us. If we read on verse three, it says this, but when she could no longer hide him, and so they hid him for about three months, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile River. Now, this isn't just a mother resigned to her circumstances saying, I've, I've got no, no options and I can't, you know, I can't. I can't go through with this. I can't kill my own son. So I'm going to, you know, just put the baby in the river and what will be, will be. No, she, she makes this plan and, and, and puts, puts Moses into this waterproof basket. And although there's no visible reason to believe that God was at work in this, in this woman's life, he was working remember what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see, which sounds like an oxymoron. How do you have assurance in something that you don't see? How do you have confidence when you've got nothing to point to, nothing to stand on? Maybe, maybe God spoke to, to, to Moses' mother and told her, hey, listen, put, put your baby in a basket, waterproof it. But even if he didn't, you know, we know from the rest of the story that this was clearly part of God's plan. Like if you've read the Exodus story, you know that, that Moses grows up and becomes the savior of his people. So whatever, whatever Moses' mom heard or didn't hear from God, in the moment of, of, um, of what had to be unbearable grief, as she's laying her child into the river and letting him go, God is in the middle of that plan. And I don't know what you may be facing this morning or what crisis you've been in in the past or what crisis you may face in the future, but it's possible for God to be right in the middle of that. And sometimes, as moms, as parents, you don't have the ability to do as much as you want to or you feel like you should. And in Moses' mother situation, she really doesn't have the ability to do any of what she wants to do as a mom, what she feels like she's supposed to do as a mom, what, what you know, she's, she's got no options. I mean, she's got a three-month-old baby that she is literally putting into the river, and I'm sure that, that was devastating. And this can be a source of, of guilt or shame, right? We all, like... Like when we don't feel like we can do everything that we we want to do or everything we feel like we should do or that is expected of us, you know, we can feel like we're not enough. We can feel like we're less than. We can feel like we're a bad mom, bad parent, bad whatever, bad, you know, supervisor. But we have to understand that none of us are enough. Even when we can do all the things we want to for our children, None of us are enough. We have to have faith. Not that things are just going to work out. Not, not, not optimism, but faith. Faith to rely on God. And God longs for you, whether you're a mom in the room or you're not, he longs for you to recognize that you and I are not enough. And here's the really good news. You were never supposed to be a lot of times we, we put expectations on ourselves or, or we feel like we should or someone else is putting expectations on you, but you were never meant to carry all the weight. You were never meant to be the sole provider for all the burden. God said, I will be more than enough. And we have to have faith. We have to have faith that's, that, that's in desperate times like Moses' mother finds herself in and faith in good times. Because we can't We we don't get to rely on God's limitless ability until we've accepted the fact that we have limits to our ability. And this is what Moses' mother is doing in this situation. She has has hard, soul-crushing limits imposed on her. Not by her choice, nothing she can do about it. She is not able to keep her child. But when we trust in God, when we have faith there, we can rely on his limitless ability and let's look at what that looks like in this situation. Read on in verse 4. The baby's sister stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. And this is part of what tells me this isn't just a mom being like, you know, I can't, I, I've got no choices. I'm going to put him in the river and, you know, I just can't be the one that kills him. No, she waterproofed this boat. She sent the sister, older sister along. I need you to see what happens and tell me what, what goes on. And so verse 4, baby's sister stood at a distance waiting to see what would happen to him. Soon, Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh the king, the guy who made this horrible, evil decree that we're going to kill all the Hebrew boys, comes down to bathe in the river, and her attendant's walking along the riverbank. And imagine, sister here, right? Like, mom's, I'm sure, gave her a very serious talk about what the expectations are. You go, you you, you, you follow along, you see what happens, you know, and, and tell me. And imagine her heart's dropping, like, oh, God. God, no. Of all the people, someone from Pharaoh's family, the guy who's behind all this evil, all this, 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 this just heinous idea comes down. But this is what we see God's limitless ability kick into effect. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Okay, she she sees her opportunity. Okay, should I go find one of the Hebrew women to, to nurse the baby for you? Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby. And nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, Moses' mother. And I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Only God could orchestrate circumstances in which a a boy, a Hebrew boy, who's supposed to be murdered finds its way into the daughter of the one who gave the order to be murdered. And when the daughter sees the Hebrew boy, she's not like, oh, I know what dad's going to want me to do. Kill that baby right now. No, no, no. God moves her heart with compassion. And who else in all of Egypt would be able to say, Pharaoh, we're not actually going to do that in this situation. But his daughter, someone from his own family, I mean, think about that for a moment. If just some random person sees this baby and cares for it, recognizes it's a Hebrew, it's you know, it's it's obvious. They're going to be in major, major trouble for defying the order of Pharaoh. And you got to remember, okay, Pharaoh's not the president of Egypt; he's the king. As a matter of fact, they treated Pharaoh like he was God. Okay, so you, you got this culture, this society where the guy in charge isn't just the guy in charge; he is deity. So defying him is, 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 is not an option, unless, of course, you're God's daughter in this case. And so Moses' mother gains a few more precious months, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the rest of the year with her son, nursing him. But then we look at this in, in verse 9, it says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 10, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son, the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, even though we, we have the benefit of seeing the whole story, in fact, you gotta put yourself in real time where Moses' mother's at. Like, yeah, I got this reprieve, and I, I get to, to nurse my son and care for him for a few more months, maybe a year. But man, can you imagine being like, okay, time's up, now I'm going to give my child, my son, to this woman who is the enemy of my people, to the one who made the order, the one who put me in the situation, and she's going to raise my kid like this is her own, and I'm going to allow my child to be adopted. And there's no indication from the scripture that that Moses' mother is ever able to see her child again. We don't know. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. But there's no way that this could be God's plan. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Like, God, I mean, you're mad. Like, you're furious at God. Like, you've, you've allowed me to live in this horrible situation of slavery. You haven't rescued our people like you've promised to. It's been years and years and years and you haven't done a thing, God, and now you've given me this special child and spared him and and I've got to give him to this woman whose father's responsible for my misery and my grief. There's no way this can be your plan. But here we see the self- sacrificing love of God in a mother that is willing to sacrifice, I guarantee you, everything she wants, right? She wants to raise her child as her own. She wants to live in peace and, 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 and have her child in her arms. But she knows that because of the horrible situation, the crisis she finds herself in, that the best thing she can do for her child is to give him to the enemy. She sacrifices the possibility of relationship with her child so that he can have the best possible life. She sacrifices out of necessity and desperation and there's no way that this is what she wants for life but she makes the decision to do what is best for her child. And you, I sincerely hope, are not in a situation as desperate as Moses' mother, but be sure of this, mom's in the room, God sees your sacrifice. God sees what you do that that maybe no one else sees or recognizes. He sees you give your time. He sees you lay down your dreams to take on responsibility. He sees you changing diapers. He sees you giving your free time to take, take a kid to practice. He sees you, if you're a single mom, working two jobs and doing all the other family responsibilities all by yourself because you have to. He sees you serving, whether you cook, clean, wash, comfort, coach, mentor, or do all of the above. He sees the work that no one else sees. And I love what Matthew 6, 2 says this. Jesus says this, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That is a promise. And when any of us, especially moms on Mother's Day, but when any of us sacrifice, when any of us give of ourselves for someone else, God sees it, whether no one else sees it or not. Not only does he see you, but he hears you. He he hears you when you pray, when you pray for your children. And at some point, just like Moses' mom, all of us have to be willing to let go of our children and trust God. And, And if you're here this morning and you don't have children, at some point there is something precious to you that you are going to have to be willing to say, I no longer have control over this. I'm going to trust God to carry it through. I've started it. I've done all the work, all the things that I can do. I have taken things to the limits of my ability and, and my power. and now God, I call on you and your power to finish the job. And our prayer has influence and impact in places that we could never have control over. And I, I have the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Moses' mom prayed for him as she gives him to the enemy and prays that, that God would bless him and keep him safe and healthy. And, and all those prayers returned dividends. dividend. And maybe Moses' mom got to see that. I don't know. Maybe Moses' mom was still alive the day he comes walking back and defies the God of Egypt and says, you're going to let my people go. And if you don't, I've got a few things for you. <laughs> maybe she got to see that and maybe she didn't. We don't know if she was still alive then. But her prayers paid dividends. Her prayers for a child, and I want to talk to you about my 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 uncle Mike. I, on my dad's side of the family, he's got one brother and a um, younger brother, and um, you know my family wanted to, to see his life change for for years. Basically, my my entire entire life from being a kid growing up, you know it was it was always you know Mike is not not uh, following God; he's rebelling against God. And, and for years and years, nothing seemed to make any difference on him. And my grandmother, who has, you know, uh, gone on to be with Jesus here in, in the last year, uh, I guess a little more than a year now, she prayed for him for 40 years, okay? I, I, at the end of this year, I will be 43. So my entire lifetime, my grandmother is praying for my Uncle Mike, and, and I talked to her about it, and she said, there were times that I just felt like I should give up. Like, it's just never going to happen. He's never going to submit his life to God. He's never going to turn his life around. And, and, and my mother, like, she couldn't stand to be around the guy. Like, he just rubbed her the wrong way. So when we would go to family you know, gatherings, reunions, like, she would just be like, okay, uh, all right. And she would get herself all mentally psyched up, like, I, I'm just going to be pleasant until I don't have to be around him anymore. Just did not, did not like him. And in December of 2015, out of nowhere, he starts a relationship with Jesus. He had been hiding the fact over all the years that he was an alcoholic and despite all his attempts to quit, he, he could never, never kick it. And then one day comes along and he has a heart attack. He has a crisis and he didn't know where else to turn. He got desperate, reached out to, to a pastor in the area. And, and I talked to my uncle Mike about, about his, his story. And he said, you know what, John, he's like, I was instantly, instantly delivered from the desire to drink. God did a miracle in his life. And he said, listen, before this, he's like, he told me, he's like, if I went at, if, he's like, John, if I went out without a drink for more than six hours, he's like, my hands would begin to shake uncontrollably. And that, that, so much that I couldn't hold a piece of salad on a fork. He said, I would get sick to my stomach and throw up unless I got that drink. And this alcoholic guy who had multiple failed marriages and, and lived... To to save up money to go on the next vacation and go scuba diving was radically changed, not because uh, uh, of anything that someone did around him, but did it through the prayers of his mother and other people that my grandmother rallied to pray on his behalf. Now my Uncle Mike, instead of saving up and figuring out how to, to go on the next scuba diving trip, he's, he's raising money to, to figure out how to send people on mission trips and, and, and wants to get back to, to Haiti. And I say all this, I tell this story, not just to talk about the power of prayer and, and, and how much, you know, um, influence you do have and things that you feel like you have no control over. But sacrifice, the idea of putting someone else's needs ahead of your own, is at the very heart of God's love. And the sacrifice that that, that you may do as a mom or in any other role in your life, if you're not a mom in the room, the sacrifice of praying for your children when you much rather just put your head on the pillow and, and just go to sleep, or you'd much rather just do something else, those prayers matter. And sacrifice is right at the heart of God's love, and he demonstrated that for us all. He needed nothing from you, nothing from me. And yet he decides to send his son and give and give and give. Jesus said it this way in John 15, verse 3, 13, excuse me. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And of course, Jesus is talking about literally giving up his life. But there's no greater act of love than the act of sacrifice. And Moses' mother demonstrated this for us. She sacrifices everything that she wanted so that her child would have a chance. She sacrificed by faith for what she hoped for and could not see. Allowing the enemy to raise her child. And like I said, we don't know if she got to, to, to see who would grow up to be. And she does all this all this self-sacrifice, all this giving, all this giving up her hopes and dreams for what she wanted her relationship with Moses to be, with zero fanfare or notice. I mean, for crying out loud, we don't even know her name. If you read in Exodus, we know that brothers, uh, that Moses' brother's name was Aaron, and his sister's name was Miriam. We don't know who Bom's name is. I mean, come on. She makes all this sacrifice and all this stuff happen. She provides the circumstances and the ability for for the Savior of their entire nation to happen and does all the things, all the hard choices that had to happen. We don't even know her name. And that's often how the work of our Heavenly Father goes by. His contributions and the contributions of moms often go unnoticed, and uncredited. But Moses' mother understood and knew what all of us need to know. And if you've been dozing off and thinking about lunch, listen to this part, please. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away and this is no one's default mode, right? Like, like I wanna do the things that, that I wanna do. I wanna be focused on my projects, and, and as, as, a, as a, a, a guy, you know, and, and my personality wiring, I am very task-oriented, project-oriented, and, and my wife will be the first to tell you, I have an incredible ability to focus and tune out distractions, like my children. <laughs> And it's not that I'm doing it on on, on purpose, but I do. I get zoomed in on that. And and my wife, on the other hand, is great at always thinking about what is it that that needs to happen for our kids to develop and what needs to happen for them to grow to love God more and what needs to happen for them to, to grow in character. And we all need to find more ways that we can add real value to our lives, by figuring out who we can give away to. Because this, this is completely and totally obvious if you've ever gone to a funeral. No one gets up at a funeral and says, you know what, John, that guy knew how to work. He would work on projects and would, would accomplished all these things. Did you see the, 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 the installation of, of the cameras at that one built? place? It was a very complicated project. No one stands up and talks about that crap at funerals. What do they talk about? They talk about the moments where people gave their lives away to others, where they invested into people. And they talk about the love. And I've done done funerals of of both kinds. I've gone to some that are amazing and you get to hear the the impact and all the love and how many lives they touched. And it just, you, you may not even know them. And like my tears rolling down my eye because man, this is such a beautiful moment. And then I've been to other ones where they are gut-wrenching, where there's not a lot to say. And the funeral is basically just me reading some scripture and and, and trying to pray a prayer of comfort and consolation because the life was not one where they focused on giving away. And the value of life is always measured by how much of it's given away. And we, for whatever reason, as, as, as people... As the, the fallen world we live in, we live most of our lives completely rejecting this truth until life ends. And then we all gather around and celebrate, if we can, how much of a life was given away. So I want to ask the question this morning for all of us, what are you giving your life to? Because the only investment that lasts forever is the investment into people. Whether they're your children, your coworkers, a family member. The only investment that lasts forever is people. And for all the parents hearing this, there is no greater work than the work you do investing in your children. There is no greater work. Had Moses' mother not done that work in the very limited window she had, we may not be talking about Moses today. We may have been talking about Jethro or some other person God raised up. And, and who knows how many mothers maybe didn't do that work. And, 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 and Moses is the one we hear about and is famous and we know about today. But you have no idea what your investment in your child will do. And, and we don't get to see it until well, well, well into the story. And and, and if you're not a parent this morning, you have no idea what your investment in someone else is going to turn into. You may not get to see it because it's God's plan. It's not ours. And we don't know Moses' mother's name, but her sacrifice, her prayer, her faith that resulted in a leader who would deliver the entire nation from slavery and oppression, that work matters. And all of us, we want to live successful lives, right? Right? We want, we, want to, we want to do that. And here's how God defines success. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this, But when the Son of Man, I, a.k.a. Jesus, comes in his glory with all the angels with him, and he's sitting upon his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we ever see you a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It's not a real glamorous thing that Jesus lays out as the metric for success in life. He talks about feeding hungry people, (laughs) giving somebody a drink, being inviting someone into your home, clothing someone who's naked, (laughs) taking care of someone who's sick, visiting someone who's in prison. All these tasks that we would say are mundane. I mean think about people who do these jobs for a living. People who work in, in, in food industry, we don't look at them as the most successful people in our society. People who, who work, work maybe at, 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 a, at, a, at a hotel or a motel, not the highest paying jobs. Someone who works in a prison, someone, someone who takes care of children, all these things. We have a tendency to look at those as unimportant jobs, but Jesus would say, the investment into the lives of other people, even in, in what we might consider simple and mundane ways, and in, in the ways that, that every mother has absolutely served in. You have taken care of hungry, naked, crying people. Jesus says, whenever you were doing that, you weren't just taking care of. Of that child. You weren't just taking care of that stranger. You weren't just being a nice person. You weren't just being hospitable to somebody. You were doing it to me. And when I think about what God has done on behalf of my life, how he has sacrificed and given for me, and and, and I would say, I want to love and give back to God. Jesus says, that's great, John. Go find somebody to serve. And I'm like, let me pray about that, Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm serious. But it is, it's harder to do than it is to say. But the value of our life, it is measured by how much we give away. And I'm going to ask um, Eli to, to put, put on a little music because we're closing prayer. Um, for all the, all, the, all the moms in the room, I know you guys have measured and, and modeled this idea of serving others. And and I just want to say to you, like, that's not a small thing. That is the character, that is the image of God inside of you shown out for all of us. The tireless selflessness that's required to raise children. And for, for all of us in the room that are not parents or not mothers, I want to dare you this morning to reset your barometer for success and how you invest in other people and pray this bold prayer. Say, God, who in my life can I serve? Who can I invest into? Who can I share your love with, your kindness? Whose day can I brighten today? Because Jesus would tell you and he would tell me, the value of a life is always measured and how much is given away and if you struggle to kind of come up with things, I want you to, to, to take some time in, in prayer and just, get this, this sounds a little morbid, but it's, it's actually not. Imagine you're at your own funeral in the future. What do you want said about you? Who you want to see come up and, and share a story? And what is it that you want them to say? Because like it or not, recognize it or not, all of us are writing our life story today. And I want to challenge you. You want a right to to write a story that you want told. And God has promised to help us do that. Because I get it. Like, none of us are naturally like, yes, let me go and serve somebody. Let me go not stop doing what I want to do. Go figure out what someone else wants to do and help them do that. value of our lives is measured in how much we give away so let's pray this morning Holy Spirit I invite you into this place and uh, help us to see what really matters because God it is so easy to, to get distracted on everything else but the things that matter it's so easy for me, and I'm sure for others here, to get focused on the next task, the next work project, the, the next hobby, the next vacation, the, 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 the next project around the house, the, the next thing I want to do. But God, you're telling me and you're telling all of us that my life has more value when I give it away. So God, help us to be people that, that live that out, that, that followed the example that, that, that our moms or the people that raised us did for us, that gave their life away, sacrificed for our best. And God, may we here at Real Life Vineyard be a people that are recognized not by what we achieve, but what we give of ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to thank all of you for being here this morning. And it's been great spending a little time with you. I hope this has been helpful and encouraged you, especially moms. I hope this has been a helpful and encouraging moment for all of you. So um, if you don't already have awesome plans for mom, you better be making some right away. (laughs) And uh, I pray you guys have an awesome, wonderful rest of this Mother's Day. Love you guys. Have a great week.